Ragwinner can help you. From the Messenger Inquirer, I'm Don Wilkins. Despite housing more than 700 inmates, the Davis County Detention Center has been able to avoid a major coronavirus outbreak that has struck other jails and prisons. And in this episode, we talk to Jailer Art Maglinger on the steps he's taken to prevent the spread of the disease. Stay with us. This is Inquirer. Yeah, just describe how how the inmates would live prior to the coronavirus. Okay, at our facility, we have uh, three separate buildings. Our average daily population is over 700 prior to the pandemic. Um, of those three buildings, our main building, Building 1, has the majority of the inmates, and that's around 500 on any given day. And there's around 100 separate cells in Building 1. Uh, they're unique in the sense that some of them are general population cells. Some of them are uh, isolation cells where there's a day room that's attached to the, the cells. So each cell is unique at our facility. So would you have multiple inmates in some of those cells? Yes, yeah. On any given day, um, some of the general populations uh general population cells could have between 25 and 35 individuals living in one area together. Uh, I would call it like an open bunk area where the bunks are lined up along the walls and then they share a bathroom. So if, if somebody comes in, uh, well, whenever they're brought in um, with a particular charge, um, how, how, how do you process somebody? I mean, because um, I know you keep not only Davis County folks, but you have state, and I don't know if you have any federal prisoners, but are are, are those separated? Uh, yes, the federal inmates are separate from the state and county inmates. Uh, we are, since April the 1st, around April the 1st, we have been uh, isolating every single new intake that comes in, uh, meaning they go to an isolation area by themselves, for at least 14 days uh, prior to going to general population. So basically everybody that's entering the facility, new intakes, uh, we're treating them as if they have the virus. Because a lot of the information that is presented, you know, you could be a carrier without knowing. So there's a lot of unknowns with this virus. Yeah, uh, I mean, we've seen and heard the governor talk about the Green River Correctional Complex you know, there in Central City. So today, um, we're reporting our highest number of cases by a significant amount. It's 625 new cases. But um, the way that breaks down is 309 of those new cases are from Green River Correctional Facility alone, about half. Uh, and what we have done there, which we talked about, is we tested all 1,000-plus people uh, who are incarcerated there or who are working there or who are on contract coming in uh, to the facility. And what we have seen, and, and um, Michael Brown will talk about it, is uh, almost 400 people total between before and, and this batch have, have tested uh, positive to at about a 40% rate, which is what we hear from other states um, at those facilities. It says that this is a concerning situation. How the 
virus has spread there. I think over 300 uh, that the governor announced earlier this week. And so how, I guess, how have you been able to prevent that kind of infection rate uh, there? I mean, 700 inmates, I think they're about 1,000 or maybe a little bit more. Uh, so you, you guys are operating quite a large operation there as well. Yes, and to be honest, we're very fortunate. Uh, I don't think the threat's over, so I, the last thing I would want for us to do is let our guard down, and then it comes into our facility. Um, since uh, the beginning of March, around March the 2nd, we uh, added extra cleaning regiments, meaning that a lot of the different surfaces are wiped down multiple times a shift. So probably around that time, about six different times in the day, uh, in a 24-hour period, common surfaces that were touched were wiped down by the inmate workers. Um, as it progressed, I guess the biggest uh, change in facility operations came on about March the 13th, where we suspended uh, programs, uh, including some of the educational programs and then church ministry programs as well. And one of the reasons that that would be alarming is because um, some of the inmates come from different cells that are pulled from different locations. Whereas if somebody's in a, a cell containing 20 men and they go to this program and then go back to their cell, they've been exposed to anybody else that they were in that program with. So that was one of the hard decisions. And uh, since the pandemic, I would never consider that we've been on lockdown status, but I would refer to it as limited movement uh, where uh, the, the operations of the jail slow down and they do come out of their cells occasionally so they're not on lockdown but we've been in a status of limited movement since around March the 13th. And that was to protect the inmates as well. Now, how about just visitation? Yeah, that was a big change too. Uh, when we implemented the limited movement, obviously from the inmates' perspective, these are big changes. Um, just in, you know, overnight, they've lost access to some of their programs that they were attending and then their public visitation uh, prior to the pandemic, we had the old-fashioned way of public visitation where the public would come to the lobby, they would sign up to register uh, to visit with the inmate, and then those inmates are pulled from various cells and lined up in a hallway prior to being escorted into the visitation booth. So that was another concern because, again, like the programs, multiple inmates are uh, sharing common spaces and they're sitting side by side waiting to go into the visitation. So when we canceled a uh, public visitation, uh, just prior to that, I was already looking at video visitation. I had just not pulled the trigger on it at that time. So it created an opportunity where uh, shortly after the pandemic, we were able to implement uh, video visitation at the facility. And it's uh, been well received by the inmates and the inmates' families. So how does that technology work? Uh, the kiosk, uh, almost all the cells either have one or two kiosks in the area, the housing areas where there's a phone attached to it. Uh, the kiosk is kind of their lifeline at the facility. They can do anything from grievances to medical requests. Um, they can order a commissary if their families have put money on their account and they're back there in their own cell. So the video visit uh, can be initiated by the public where they register the inmate for a visit a certain time or the inmate. We also have inmate initiated where they can register to visit with their family and friends from their kiosk and their cells. Now, what about like hand sanitizer? 
Um, I know that has alcohol in it, and, and I'm assuming you guys don't allow any alcohol products there? Right, yeah, inside the cells there's no alcohol-based hand sanitizer, and that's the exact same reason that you had mentioned is the concern uh, that they would be uh, getting drunk off the hand sanitizer. Unfortunately, it's happened um, on the street, you know, prior to them, the guys that are alcoholics maybe struggle. So it would be a concern if we had it inside the cells, but outside the cells where the inmates, if there's any movement, there is hand sanitizer that's non-alcohol based uh, in common areas of the facility. And then twice a day, the inmates are uh, given access to cleaning carts, and then the deputy comes in there and sprays bleach in the shower areas of every single housing area. Now, so you, you, did you say you had bunks in some of these cells? Yes, many of the cells are open bunks, meaning there's a, a bunks lined up along the walls. And then there'd be like uh, tables in the common area of that um, open bunk dorm. So you, so you would have a guy on the top bunk and then a guy on the bottom bunk. Mm-hmm. So did you have them, because I've, I've heard that some facilities would have one, you know, head at one end and then the other one would have to sleep on the other end. So that way, that way I guess you wouldn't have them, their, their heads on the same end of the bunk to prevent any, you know, if they coughed or anything like that to kind of help prevent the spread. Did you do anything like that? Uh, we didn't micromanage to that detail. Um, no, not inside the cells. We never micromanage to that, you know, because they're still in close proximity, you know, with their bunks. Uh, obviously, anybody that would be symptomatic would be removed from that cell and monitored by medical. But as far as micromanaging how they're sleeping in their bunks, I've never micromanaged that inside the cells. Now, how, how are you doing testing now? Are you... Have you tested everyone in the the facility as of right now? Now, April 1st was uh, the scary day when we received news that one of our deputies had tested positive. Um, and then obviously that was alarming to the staff that had worked with the deputy and also to the inmates. So based on the information that we had, we did have an inmate tested uh, that had been transported by the deputy and that inmate came back negative. And then we did around 14 or 15 uh, deputy tests as well, and all of those came back negative as well. So uh, this, uh, you know, it was a scary couple weeks there for a while. It got tense uh, when we started to wear protective equipment, you know, obviously face mask. Uh, I think communication is very important with the inmate population, letting them know that this is for their protection because we are, you know, just as much of a threat, if even more, to them than every new intake coming in because there's more of us coming into the facility. And if we're a carrier without knowing it, the mask is for their protection. So just communication has been important. We have the ability to broadcast um, throughout the whole facility to the inmate population. Um, so we've done that several times, probably at least five or six times during the pandemic to let them what, know what's going on with facility operations. So, so right now, are you only testing when somebody may be suspected of, of having uh, That's correct, okay. yeah. If they're not symptomatic, we have actually a doctor with our medical provider and the doctor in those cases that I mentioned, and there was another one after that uh, that also came back negative that inmate was tested. Um, the doctor has to order the test, and we have a medical provider that's here 24-7, a nursing staff and medical staff. 
I know in a previous interview that I did with uh, the hospital, uh, you know, the, yeah, the jails, uh, you, you, I guess your jail and the prison there in Muhlenberg County were considered wild cards, you know, because you have between the two of you uh, nearly 2,000 inmates. And, sure. and, and their concern was, you know, if this you know, became like a wildfire situation, that it would be the prisons that would overwhelm their system, uh, the jails that would overwhelm their system, more so than the general public. And so uh, I guess that um, was a pretty, it still is a big concern. And, you know, I guess more detail into the steps that you've, to try to help prevent that from happening, I guess. Sure. I guess my biggest fear in the beginning was the courts were going to shut down. Uh, sometimes with holidays, uh, when the courts close, we see a spike in the inmate population. That is not the case, so I have to definitely commend our uh, local and county uh, officials as well as our judges for continuing the process of court. Uh, we've had a part in that. You know, The sheriff's department also has a part in that because they run video court here at the facility. They're just doing it more frequently, uh, but they've certainly been efficient in still seeing um, and continuing the court process, which has helped us greatly to be able to problem solve. We went from having an average daily population of over 700 inmates, sometimes in the summertime it's closer to 800, uh, to our population currently today at 470. So that gives us more ability to problem solve if we were to have an outbreak Obviously, uh, we are treating every single individual intake coming into the facility as if they're a carrier and they're isolated and quarantined for 14 days prior to going to general population. So that extra space in the facility helps us. Uh, if we were to have an outbreak, you know, we'd work with medical and try to contain that. And um, uh, it would definitely help us in our ability to problem solve. No. Now, what about masks? Are you requiring your staff to wear a mask? Uh, yes. Uh, since around the, the masks were provided for them in late March, uh, thank, I have to thank EMA and the fiscal court. They've been great. And we've had a supply of uh, PPE since late March. It was mandated for staff to wear them on April the 1st. Uh, and that's when I was explaining to you that the inmates had some concern. So it took some communication to kind of relay why we were wearing them for their protection, and uh, we're in a much better place. You know, there were some tense couple of days there, but things are a lot better. And, you know, just explaining to them, uh, being transparent, letting them know that it's for their protection as well. But, yeah, the staff are wearing masks, and then every new intake, every new inmate coming into the facilities issued a mask as well, and that started back in the beginning of April as well, April 1st. So when does that inmate have to wear the mask? Uh, when they would be out of their cell, uh, the quarantine, the isolation area I mentioned prior to going to general population, it's got individual cells within it and then a day room that has to be cleaned because they still get to come out for their shower. So anytime they're out of their cell, they're required to wear the mask in any type of movement throughout the facility, uh, going from the booking area where they're processed at intake uh, back to um, the housing area that they're going to be housed in, they're required to wear the mask. So and in inmate workers as well are issued masks. They do the majority of the cleaning throughout the facility. So ha have you decreased the number? 
like you said, there'd be up to 20 guys in, in one cell. Uh, have you decreased that number at all? It has gone down quite a bit because our population's at 470 today, and that's the lowest it's been in probably 20 years. Uh, it's been a long, it's uh, the lowest that a lot of the deputies that, you know, close to 20 years of experience has ever seen. The population number's this low. And, you know, that, like I mentioned before, that's three separate buildings. So in addition to our main building, we also have two other buildings where we have our SAP program or substance abuse program and also the inmate workers uh, that are approved by the Department of Corrections to do work. And that's another thing that changed with facility operations is mid-March. On March the 14th, uh, had to make the tough decision not to send out any inmate work crews. And that you know definitely hurts the county because the inmate labor benefits the county in a lot of ways. Uh, if you were to add up all the wages of the inmates, if they were not inmates, uh, it would be over a million dollars a year um, that the inmate labor brings to the county. So who are the inmates that you've lost? Has it been the, the state inmates that the governor has uh, signed off on to be released early? Yes, we've uh, we've uh, definitely our population's dropped in some state inmates. Uh, around uh, three weeks ago, we had our first set that Governor Bashir had released statewide. And at our facility, that was around 23 uh, state inmates. And then uh, just a couple weeks ago, they did medical releases. We had previously submitted a list of anybody that would be at high risk if they were to contract the virus. We uh, kind of based on categories of low, medium, and high risk, and we received releases for around seven inmates at our facility. So in addition, both of those, about 30 inmates, state inmates, have been released due to the pandemic So our facility. So then... Um, what has then decreased, I mean, because that doesn't sound like uh, that that would have been a reason why your your population is low. What has contributed now that you're, you, you've dropped nearly half of your population? Sure, a lot of the Supreme Court decisions that came in, um, it obviously, they worked with the courts and the county attorney's office, and uh, I believe the biggest change would be probably law enforcement being more selective and uh, citing people in the court on any given day prior to the pandemic, a slow day for us was booking in 20 inmates. And I looked up just from May 1st to today in about a seven-day period, uh, we've processed around 38 inmates, which averages out to about five inmates a day. So obviously, it's a fourth of what we were processing each day. I think the biggest change is the number of people that are being arrested, uh, either either being cited in the court or given a court date, uh, and that's probably the most uh, significant factor in our reduced population. Yeah, interesting. Okay. I, I also wonder, you know, you also depend on, you know, state inmates, federal inmates for, uh, for revenue, and I just yes. wonder how that's going to affect you long term. Sure. Uh, we're drawing into the last uh, two months of our fiscal year. Uh, thankfully, we were over budget on the, our per diem revenues in the early months of the fiscal year. So I believe we will survive this. Uh, I guess it's not over for anybody. We don't know how long this is going to last. But we have taken a hit a little bit in the state revenue. But I, I believe we will survive it with this uh, fiscal year and this budget. And I hope to be, you know, just as strong coming into the next fiscal year. 
now, we have around uh, of the 470 inmates that we have the breakdown of those around 80 or uh, federal inmates from Kentucky and Tennessee and then we have around 16 from Vanderburgh County Indiana and then a few from McLean County I believe like four and then the rest will be state and county inmates this is the lowest uh, population of our county inmates I, I believe today it was 115 of that 470 so the number of county inmates has gone down uh, quite a bit in the summertime the county inmate population numbers sometimes go up over 300 so that's the lowest that I can recall that we've ever been at 115 county inmates. How many, do you have any inmates right now who have the virus that you're, that who are there or being treated in the hospital? No, thankfully we do not have any. We have not had any that have been hospitalized uh, from the virus. Um, we Thankfully our medical provider has stayed on top and we've been doing screenings on new intakes uh, since mid-March on both intakes and staff coming into the facility. So uh, the medical provider um, obviously is great to work with and to have here at the facility uh, to deal with anything that might, you know, cause alarm to the inmates. Yeah. So uh, as you as you look, I guess, look ahead, I mean, do you feel like that the steps you guys have taken will, will protect uh, your staff and the inmates? For the foreseeable future i do um i feel like you know the beginning to be honest with you i felt like all of this uh, felt like sitting ducks for a while because we are a unique facility where we don't have the option to work from home or just go home you know we're essential and the deputies have really stepped up at this time you never know uh, when fear spreads how it's going to affect the staffing but they have really stepped up the majority of them have stepped up to answer the call it's already a tough enough profession before the pandemic and it's even scarier now because all of us are in this together and we're all exposed to the same air and uh, i see long term as us just continuing to take precautions uh, to not let our guard down to keep up with the cleaning and the steps we've taken to protect the ma population and the staff and i don't want to say we're out of the woods because i know a month from now we have an outbreak, so we're very fortunate to be where we're at. And that will wrap up our show for this week. I would like to thank Jailer Art Maglinger for joining me. To send us questions or to provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. Remember, you can find us on the Messenger Inquire's website, Apple iTunes, and Facebook, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquiries.